This is this is this is the Bottom Bends podcast. Oh yeah! Hello and welcome back to the Bottom Bends podcast. It's me, Richie, joined today by Connor. Connor, how's things? Not too bad. Yourself? Uh, can't complain, lad. Can't complain. Uh, we have our second edition of this week in football. Um, it is going to be over the course of really the last sort of couple of weeks um just because we haven't done one of these in about a month um football stories were kind of slow over the last month there were a couple of incidents that we maybe thought we could have talked about uh you know the likes of what happened between leon and marseille but to be honest folks it's it's not really current in the news anymore and i mean none of us here really watch french football so that's not something that we were going to be able to talk about in in great detail um but we're going to move it to our first topic um this week and it comes um as no shock to anybody who is a fan of this podcast, we love our chats about VAR and how it's ruining our, our game. Um, and this weekend was, again, no different. A uh, number of VAR decisions this weekend that really, really um, have left a sour taste in the mouth for a lot of supporters um, across the UK. And I think the best place to start, Connor, is probably just with Mikel Arteta's comments. I think, you know, the big thing was a month ago he was defending VAR and saying that it needed to be protected. And now, after what happened between Arsenal and Newcastle at the weekend, a, a result which has cost Arsenal their first loss of the season due to a foul in the build-up, uh, the ball apparently being out and the goal being scored. Um, Look, ultimately, Connor, what was your take on, on Arteta's comments? Was it just total implosion from the Arsenal manager? Well, in my opinion, I think he's kind of done what Mourinho used to do. He's kind of taken the attention away from the players because I thought at the weekend Arsenal were really, really poor. I thought the Arteta kind of came out and says, oh, I'm going to defend the club, defend the players. They played so well. But I think anyone, even speaking to Arsenal fans, know that that was not a good performance. And I think... I think in general it wasn't a great game. A draw probably would have been fair. Um, I think he's just taken it away from the the players because it was a really really poor performance. And in general, I have not been impressed with Arsenal this season. Uh, the games I've seen them, I think you know defensively, I think they've improved, but attacking wise, they're not scoring many goals. And I know Odegaard was injured, but I think he's been poor this season as well. Um, but it, it, Arteta in the past has done things I guess he has kind of imploded um you look at the history though even like last season with the the goal Tony scored against them that was offside and they got the wrong player so it's kind of a build up uh but in the past he's kind of been like oh you know we'll have to support the referees and then once a decision goes against him he's done a flip which doesn't look good uh but I do think it was a foul uh I think he pushed you know uh Joe Linton pushed Gabriel in the back, so it was a foul. I think the ball, you can't tell if the ball's in play. United had a similar one this season again, uh, where they had a ball that you couldn't really tell if it was in or out. But I, th- I think it was a total implosion by Arteta, but I think it was, the reason was because he has taken the pressure away from the players. There's no real talk about how poor Arsenal played um, or how poor they've been really this season. I know they were unbeaten, but they have been poor, I think. So I think I think it's a it's a... It's, it's a smart tactic, and even today I've seen he was having a bit of a, a job at uh, the way Ange reacted because he got booked. So he's not he's not really helping himself, but I think it is a ploy because it's to take away from the performance that Arsenal put on or put in, in on Saturday. 
yeah, completely agreed. Completely agreed. I mean, we we, we had that uh, that incident, you know, that is about a month old now, where you know Liverpool were looking the game against Tottenham replayed, and you know, I remember all the backlash that Liverpool received at the time. So you know, I think after a press conference that Arteta delivered, it is only fair that criticism goes to to other managers as well. And for me personally, the way that he reacted, I thought was just absolutely ludicrous. Um, and again, I, I do completely agree with what you're saying, Connor. I think it is an absolute ploy trying to deflect from what was an absolutely horrible performance from Arsenal. Toothless up front, didn't look like they were going to score, didn't look like they were even going to create. I know that's difficult without Martin Odegaard on the field, but I mean, even at that, you know, they had a guy who in Eddie Nketiah who last weekend scored a hat-trick and then, you know, couldn't deliver on on the big stage against a big team like Newcastle and I think that is an important contextual aspect of this as well it was against Newcastle it was a massive massive game these are two sides that ultimately will be in and around those you know second third fourth places this season in the Premier League and for 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 such a massive game to to come down to incidents like this it it does sort of spoil the game as such um not that it was a great game of football anyway but on one hand, I can sort of see where Arteta's coming from, but, you know, look, we as Man United fans, seeing the, the graphic today, the VAR has hurt Manchester United the most this season, and I swear every time the VAR thing comes up when United are playing, they're going to overturn our goal, they're going to disallow us a goal, something's going to go against us. Um, so I do understand it from that perspective um, for Arsenal fans. Yes, it must have been frustrating, but all this chat around, you know, like there's four cameras needed for goal line technology to work successfully. And now fans are calling for cameras to be placed on the end lines to make sure the balls either go in or, or, or they either stay in or, or they're, they're out. And, you know, that's just ridiculous. Like, you know, there's not, there's not that kind of technology out there. And again, yes, Connor, I completely agree with you also. Like, you know, you look at the Hoyland goal against Brighton, like he was denied his debut goal when I thought that ball was more in than the one that Newcastle had um, at the weekend. So it is it is difficult. But again, Connor, it does just come down to sort of the, the, the question of consistency with VAR and getting these decisions correct on a consistent basis. And really sitting here today, I don't think either of us could say that VAR and consistency are two, uh, two great bad partners. Uh, what, what do you think? Definitely not. It's not consistent. Even if you look at um, at the weekend, the United goal that was disallowed, I do think it was offside because he didn't interfere. But you look at the City goal they got earlier in the year. You know, I think it was a Kanji was in front of the goalkeeper, which was total interference, and they didn't disallow that goal. It, it is just consistency. It's just been so poor this year. Um, the handball, you know, incidences that are just occurring every week. You know, some are handball, some aren't. Um, even the foul. Uh, that I know I'm going back, but City got last week for the penalty. Uh, definitely City better team, not complaining about the result, but how many times do you see that in every game? Even Van Dijk got fouled there at the weekend against Luton and there was no penalty given, so that one for me was another one. Where's the cons- consistency? Like It's just ridiculous at this point. And, um, you know, even last night uh, in the Spurs-Chelsea game, some of the fouls that were committed, like uh, Romero kicked out uh, Bruno uh, at the weekend for Newcastle hit Jorginho in the head and they didn't give a red card. It's just like, what is going on? That is violent conduct. He just hit a boy in the head. He done it in the Champions League as well and they didn't give a red card. Uh, 
it's I just don't know what's going on at this point. And as you said, any time they go to the VAR, United have had five goals disallowed this year. I know we're always harking back to United, but I think we've been hard done by this year. And as you said, any time it goes to VAR, we'll just accept it. It's not going to be a goal for us. Well, I did see there um, over the weekend that Anthony Taylor has been demoted um, to the championship now. Um, he will not be refereeing a Premier League game for the foreseeable. Um, and I did feel like that. Did not see today though what happened? It was like he was. It was last week, and he gave a penalty that was never a penalty in the championship, and now he's refereeing Man City Chelsea this weekend. I can't believe that. How mental I, is that? How mental is that? Cannot I don't know if he's seen the incident honest. at the weekend, but he gave a penalty for nothing. Uh, like the guy was striker was through, and the guy like kind of pushed him, and then he ran on and missed, and he went back gave the penalty, and now he is refereeing arguably the biggest game of the weekend. I can't believe that. And he was fourth official that. last night. He's fourth official in that Chelsea uh, Spurs game last night. It's ridiculous. Like. I, I was, I was literally just about to sit here and say, you know. <laughs> I, that I thought that was a good deterrent for referees, but I mean, obviously not because this guy is just what a referee to game in the championship one weekend, but now he's straight back into the Premier League. Uh, it just it makes no sense to me, to be honest, you know. And I, I just while we're talking about say Spurs and Chelsea, there, like I thought that Ange's comments in particular, even when he was the Celtic manager, I thought a lot about what he has said. I've seen sort of a lot on social media about his views on VAR and his views on refereeing and, you know, where he was saying, you know, sometimes you do just have to shut up and accept the decision that that is given, whether you think it's right or wrong, you know, ultimately the authority of the referee needs to come first. And, you know, I do think it does ponder the question, you know, we've seen a lot of, right, it's only the captain that's allowed to go up and speak to the referee. Now, if the third man comes in, we've seen it before, I, I hearken back to the Wolves game from last season. I think it was Joe Gomez. He was the third man in and got the straight red card. Now, he hadn't even conversed with the referee. He was literally just the third man in to, 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 to that situation. So, you know, do you believe, Connor, that referees do deserve a bit more respect whilst on the field of play? Or are we getting to a situation now where in possibly five, six, seven years' time, we could be looking at, at games that have no referee whatsoever and they are refereed solely by VAR? I do think, obviously, refs deserve respect. And I think the new rule, giving out the booking, um, is the only way they're going to get it. Uh, but I actually, sometimes I don't think it's the fault of the referee. It's the VAR. Because I think VAR has brought... The referee or made the referee's job harder because you know they're afraid now they don't really make decisions big decisions they'll wait for the VAR and then the VAR can't say a hundred percent you were wrong on that and we're going to change it it's very rare it happens so I think it makes the job of referee harder you hear Mike Dean who I actually disagree with a lot of the points he makes but he was kind of saying it does make the job harder for a referee because you know you just you're always thinking like could it, I think a lot of referees don't want to be make I made a fool of you know, to make the wrong decision and then VAR overturns it. So I think the respect thing is big. I've th- I seen it the weekend as well at Newcastle Arsenal game. You know, the referee get Havertz, bad tackle, borderline red card, and Newcastle got three players booked because they complained. And it's just like, you know, that's a bit, that's excessive for me. Um, but as you said, like even last year in that Wolves game, that guy got sent off and he didn't even say anything to the referee. Uh, so 
I think you could be right in five or six years' time. Just we don't know where the game's going to go because VAR is going nowhere. See this? Oh, get rid of it, get rid of it. It's going nowhere. It's in now. You know, even the offsides as well. We're taking three or four minutes to look at offsides that we know we're offside. So what's going on? I know they're now afraid because uh, that Spurs-Liverpool game where they made the big blunder. They've done it too quick. So now they're going to slow it down. The game slows down. There was 12 minutes of additional time last night in that Spurs game, which is ridiculous. You know, that's how many mistakes there was made. Um, So for me, I think you're right in five or six years' time. It could be... That's what I've seen as well, people have said. It could be somebody just sitting in a room a few miles down the road making all the decisions. And, and it does look to be heading that way, to be honest. And I do agree with you, Connor. I do think referees' jobs is is made a bit harder by VAR. But I also think VAR doesn't help in the sense that they are almost afraid to make the referee look bad and say, no, look, you've, you've got that totally, totally wrong. And, you know, this was the reason why VAR was implemented. It was supposed to stamp out any sort of indiscretions between decisions. And, look, unfortunately, when you have a different guy sitting in the VAR chair, for every game or every weekend, whatever it might be, it is difficult because they will view certain things differently. You know, if we think about Hoyland gives gives the penalty away against Man City, you know, I'm not being funny, but you see that in every single game in the Premier League. So whenever somebody's running into the box from an indirect free kick, is that what, we're, what we need to be looking at now? Do we need to be looking at every single player in the world in the wall to make sure that he's not holding up an opposition player? And if he is, well then, judging on by what happened to Highland, you know you have to give a penalty for that. Then, you know, in every single game, if if, if that's what they're you know deeming a foul, it, it has to be the same in every game. But I think just to conclude quickly on the on the referee and on the VAR, I think the the bottom bins. Uh, final justification on VAR is that it's an absolute shambles. The refereeing in the Premier League is an absolute shambles. And to be quite honest, we are sick to the back teeth of having to analyse these horrible decisions on a weekly basis. Um, it does ruin football and it's ruining our moods um, every week. And VAR, go a bit later on Man United, please, will you? All right, stop overturning absolutely everything that United do. The thing about it as well with the referee, and it's it's not a new thing that the referee in England's been a poor standard. I've seen a video there from when Wenger was uh, managing, and he was like, in the World Cup, the the only nation that doesn't have was must be like twenty fourteen World Cup. The only nation that didn't have a referee was England, and it's the best league in the world, and they can't get top caliber refs in the biggest games in international football. And I think that just shows it. They are I. They are the worst group of officials in the world for me. They're they're awful. Thank you, referees. Because even when you watch the Champions League, the standard's so much higher of officiating, and a lot of them aren't even professional. So it just shows you it's it, it's just the way it's being run as well. And now VAR has just made it even even worse, as you said. It's just it just it's just brutal. It is. It is. Well, we're going to move to our second topic now for this episode, and it is. Something that has sort of happened over the course of this last month, and there do seem to be new details kind of emerging every day on this topic. So we thought we would try and come at you with the the freshest take on it, and it is the um, Italian betting scandal, or that's what we're calling it anyway. And it is involving three um, Italian footballers: um, uh, Juventus midfielder um, Fagioli. Um, uh, Sandro Tonali, uh, the Newcastle player, and Nicolo Zaniolo, the Aston Villa player. Now, I don't think Zaniolo has been taken up for anything, um, 
but Tenali and Fagioli have both received bans. Connor, I think the interesting thing on this is obviously we have also seen English striker Ivan Tony earlier this year become um, banned. And I, in my opinion, I do think there are a lot more players around the Premier League that are going to be quaking in their boots because I'd say these are not the only two players in the Premier League that are at this kind of crack. So I think simple question to start off, Connor. Should professional footballers be allowed to gamble? It's a difficult question. Um, it's not just in football. It's even American footballers, guys getting banned now because they're betting uh, on their own games. The question would be, I think they shouldn't be able to bet maybe on their own league, but what, what would be the problem on the betting on basketball or American football? Something they have nothing to do with, but I do understand why they are getting banned for this. Um, you know, the... The best thing is for them guys even seeing the, some of the comments. It's the best thing that's ever happened to them getting caught because you know they are gambling addicts and they need help. And hopefully they now get the help. Uh, they've both I think Tonali got ten months. I'm not sure. I think the other guy got nine because they came forward. Well, they didn't come forward. They got caught, but they they give all the evidence and the you know they kind of just said we're at fault here. Um, so for me, I, I don't see the problem in betting on other sports unless you're a gambling addict. The other thing, the other question I would even ask you is, you know, you have these guys bet. Betting is so big on football, like on football shirts, uh, on the set. You see it everywhere at half time. the advertisements. You know, there's something needs to be done in football about gambling because I, I agree, totally agree with you. There's other footballers who are definitely gambling and I'd say they're a bit worried at the minute because even look like Daniel Sturridge was caught, I think, um, Joey Barton, uh, Tony. There, there's definitely other players out there that, like... Tony's were from years ago. Like he was betting on Peterborough when he was there. That was four or five years ago. So I think I would agree with you. It's just what are they going to do about it? Yeah, I and again, Connor, I do think it, it does ponder an interesting point. You know, gambling and, and betting, it's such a massive part of the the football culture as such, you know, that we have massive shirt sponsors who are betting companies. We have like you said, all the advertisements at halftime on Sky Sports or TNT, it's, it is Bet365 or any of those betting companies. They are the first advertisements that come up. And, you know, these players might even have individual endorsements with betting companies. Um, you know, the likes of DraftKings and stuff like that. I do know there are athletes associated with those, uh, with those companies. And yeah, it does call into question sort of the integrity of the sport. It definitely does. Um, I think the big thing with it is it generates such a massive amount of revenue and that's why football probably doesn't want to push it away as a lucrative sponsorship ideal. Um, but it does definitely ponder the question, you know, should they really have as much involvement in the football and culture as such, you know, because it, it's, it's like you said, it's completely different for, you know, Paddy from your local pub taking out his phone while he's having a pint and doing a, an eightfold accumulator, as opposed to Sandro Tonali taking out his phone and betting on himself to get a yellow card or something in a game. You know, you can, you can definitely see the differences in that. But, you know, I think Ivan Tony said on the on the Diary of a CEO podcast, um, he used the gambling as motivation for himself. He would back himself to score first in the hopes that it would motivate him then to go and score first. So look, it's it, it is it is a strange, strange topic, this whole thing. But even just on the lengths of the bands, Connor, Tanali ten months, Tony ten months. I think Fagioli, yeah, he got seven to nine months, and I think that's just 
the difference between the English FA as opposed to the Italian FA. But do you think that's a long enough ban, or do you believe honestly? Like, I, and it is such a tough question. But do you believe honestly these guys should be allowed to play professional football again? I, I do think they should be allowed to play professional football. Some of these people had problems and just got themselves in bad situations, and I think they deserve a second chance. I think, yeah, a year is probably enough. Um, as you said, though, like they were directly involved in their own games, which would be worrying. I don't think even there was an incident there during, I think it was the FA Cup game. There it was like seven four, and they're kind of or seven five or something, and they're kind of looking into that. Um, your boy that had the pay at half to. <laughs> Do you remember the goalkeeper that had the pay in the FA Cup oh, game? It does, it uh, does happen. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never throw back there, but um, but I do. I think a year is about right. Um, and they also got fined. It, it will probably get. I think what they'll do is though they're kind of make it trying to make an example. And then now I think they'll probably have. They need to have things in place for these clubs, these players, to kind of know you're not allowed to bet. And I think eventually they will increase them bans because. Uh, they don't need that in football because you know we're trying to play a clean sport here, and it is it is cheating. And I know to, you know Tony's oh it gives me motivation, but that's a poor excuse because I'm sure he'd bet on other things. Um, so I wouldn't use that as a valuable excuse. But these players do need help as well because uh, Tanali, even reading some of the stuff as he just come out with, he is a gambling addict. I think it's the best thing ever happened. These lads, you know, this coming out. The other thing is as well for Newcastle's point of view. Did AC Milan know about this? That, that's where I was kind of like, because they spent, what was it, 50, 60 million? And we were like, that's a million, steal. Man. We were like, that's a steal. But now you look at it and there's a year gone from a top player that's playing in his prime. You know, a player that's meant to take Newcastle to the next level and a player they're going to solely miss. And did AC Milan know about it? I'm not, you know, it's not a conspiracy, but I know Newcastle's doing an internal investigation, but they're, they're going to lose a huge player for a year, a player that was playing well and is one of the, the better defensive mids in the Premier League at the minute. Yeah, it, it, it does look. And I know, I, look, I know you're not trying to start any conspiracy or anything, but it, it it does make you wonder, you know, did Milan just want to cash in, get their 70? Because we did question it at the time. We said, like, why are SC Milan letting Tonali go? Like, this is such a key player to their project. Like, it would be... It, it, for them, you know, the selling of Tonali is the same as like selling Rafael Leao. Like they are your two top players. Like I am sure that AC Milan fans were not one bit pleased that Tonali left the club. And it does, it really does make you wonder. You know, did they know something like this was going to happen? And it is strange. It, it is definitely strange the way this has sort of panned out over over the the last month or so. But. Um, if there is any more developments on it, folks, we will do our best to get you those developments and give you our reactions to those developments. So we're going to move on then to our last topic um, for this episode. And it's just a general overview um, on some of the European transfers that happened over the summer and how some people have settled into life at their new football clubs incredibly well. So I think the first person to start with, Connor, is undoubtedly one of the top players in world football at this current moment in time, if not probably the best midfielder in world football at this at this current time. And it's Jude Bellingham, of course, uh, record set and move to Real Madrid. Um, he looks like he is not out of place whatsoever in the club that has housed so many superstars um, over its over its tenure. And he's 15 goals and four assists. Like, 
in his first 15 or 16 games. It is absolutely crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's mental. We've seen players go to Real Madrid before, like James Rodriguez and Hazard and struggle, and he's just at the ground running. And he is one of the best midfielders in the world. Even watching him uh, for England, even at the World Cup, he's, he's their main man. He's a star player. The crazy thing is, two of the best players in the world at the minute play for England. Like, it's crazy. He, he is just so good. And people were like, all his goals are tappings. It's his instinct. He's like a striker. It's it's just crazy how good he is. And even in the El Clasico, getting two goals in the most, you know, at you know at Barcelona. I know that they're not playing in their new camp at the minute, but that's a big game. And he stood up. And I seen he might be injured at the minute, and he'd be a huge loss because it's crazy to think with Bar- or Real Madrid's midfield of like Cruz and Jimeni and Camavinga and Modric, and he's came in there and just made it so much better. And He's just take. He loves the pressure, and you could see that even at Dortmund when he was 17, 18 years of age, he was their main player. And in the Champions League, even I remember looking or watching him last year. Even when you watched him against City and Chelsea, he he was the main man, and he he was the one taking the team forward. Um, and he, you know, he could have came to United. He was a United supporter. We wanted him, but we couldn't promise him first team football, which was understandable. He was sixteen years of age, but God, I wish we had him because he's just a force in midfield and. He's just going to keep improving. He's what did you say, 20, 21 years of age, and twenty. He's twenty. He's he's one of the best midfielders in the world, and he just, you know, his mentality is what. Listen to his interviews. Like this, this guy is going to go to the very, very top. I've seen, you know, there was stuff coming out from Dortmund, kind of, you know, he was very hard on players and stuff. But that that's a winner. That's a winner, and he wants to win things. And there's no better place to be than at Real Madrid. And with him there now, Real Madrid are definitely a force in Europe again. Absolutely, absolutely. It's. It is crazy the the start that he's made the life um in in the Spanish capital. I mean, some of the performances, you know, like you just highlighted, there are two goals against Barcelona in your El Clasico debut. Like, grow up, man, will you? All right, stop being so good at fucking football, would you? <laughs> no, a serious player, twenty years of age, and already looking like he's going to be the future for the English national team for a long, long time coming, and is probably going to be a superstar in world football for. God knows how long, to be honest. I mean, on on current course at the minute, like you would look at him and you would say there might actually be the potential if he keeps going at the rate that he's going, that he could be a Ballon d'Or winner someday. And that is crazy to say, um, you know, for for a player who's only twenty years of age right now. But like, I mean, if he if he's twenty years of age and he's he's you know getting a goal a game at Real Madrid, like Jesus Christ, chill chill out, like chill yeah, out, man. Um, but look, the next one we'll talk about then is another Englishman. We'll, we'll talk about Harry Kane. Um, obviously, left Tottenham and made the move to Bayern Munich. Um, look, it, it it was a move that was criticised in the summer. You know, a lot of people thought, like, why leave the Premier League? You know, you could have went to, say, the likes of Manchester United. Um, I'm sure he doesn't regret that decision, mind you. But uh, he's gone to the biggest team in Germany. Um but although he is having a great individual start to life um, in Munich, the team maybe don't look at their absolute best at the minute. He's been dumped out of two cups. It looks like he's going to really have to wait till May maybe for that for that first trophy um, in a Bayern Munich shirt. But, I mean, how would you assess the move overall, Connor? It probably was the right thing for Harry Kane looking at it now with hindsight. Yeah. You know, his Spurs are doing really well as well. So it's kind of like, how good would he have been under Ange? I think it's a big miss for the Premier League. 
I do miss Harry Kane in the Premier League, even though I'm a United supporter. I think he was just he's just such a he's world class. He's one of he's probably well at the minute he'd be the best number nine in the world. And he just keeps getting better. And you know, for Baron, it's like a piece of cake for him. He just scored a hat trick there against Dortmund. And Dortmund, you know, they beat Newcastle last week or two weeks ago, so they're not no pushover. Um again, fifteen goals, I think it's five assists and ten Bundesliga games. That's mental. Uh three hat tricks. I think, I think Bayern. I, I would agree. I think Bayern aren't as good as what they were. I think they have, you know, that they lost a third division team that was fifteenth in the league, which is just crazy. Two uh, one. <laughs> Seen the highlights actually, and I don't know how they lost. They must have been, and they had like a good team on. It wasn't as if they had a, like the C team on. It was the not the main, but it was Muller was there and Kimmich was playing. They did some really good players on, but it's too early to know. You know, is it going to be a good move for him or not? I think it's a good move. He wants to win things. Uh, well even in the league I think Leverkusen are top so that one could be iffy but uh, I think even to compete in Europe again Champions League because Spurs didn't have Champions League football and to be honest I didn't see, I thought Spurs were going to come 8th or ninth. I know they've had a bad night last night a lot of red cards and a, a few injuries but Spurs are looking okay but for me you know he, ha- he had to make that move because he couldn't go to City because they've Holland now and United are a mess so I understand the reasoning and you know, you can't really argue it. You know, 20 goal involvements in 10 games. Just unbelievable. And as I said, England are two of the best players in the world currently. So for them not to achieve anything at this Euros would be, I think it has to be down to the manager. I know it's a totally different subject, but, you know, Bellingham and Kane are just two unbelievable players. Yeah, they're they're absolutely world class. Like there's there's absolutely zero doubt about that, to be honest. Um and I thought then the last one that we would touch on, just coming back to the to the Premier League, uh Jeremy Doku um signing for Manchester City over the summer. And again, that was a transfer that we did question a little uh, a little bit. You know, he wasn't a consistent starter um when he was in in League On. He was very much, you know, an impact player as such. Um and when Pep signed him, you know, my biggest question mark over the transfer was this was the type of winger that Pep looked like he had moved away from. We were looking at City playing with more controlled, possession-based, draw files, maybe produce a little bit of individual magic um, and, and could ultimately help them retain that fluid system that they have. Daku was more like Asana. He is the complete opposite. He's direct, uh, uses his pace, great footwork. Um, and I mean, the performance of the weekend against Bournemouth, like Jesus Christ, he was absolutely unbelievable, unplayable and start the life at Man City so far has been fantastic. And I don't think I've heard Pep say so many nice things about a new player. You know, normally there's, yes, he's very good, but he needs to do this. He needs to do this. He needs to do that. There's always that constructive element to it. But there was no constructive um, element at the weekend when Pep was talking about him. It seems as though whatever Pep is telling him to do, whether that's just go out and play your own brand of football. He is doing that at the minute, and he is producing the goods for City. So what have you made to Jeremy Doku's uh, start to life at Man City then, Connor? He's just such an exciting player. Um, as you said, he just goes up players, and he's got skills. He Three assists, or was it four assists? Four assists. Like, that is just crazy. Um, <clears throat> as you said, you know... I, would I question it because it was kind of like did they need this player they've got Jack Grealish playing that left wing position and he's, he's just come into his own and as I said City just have the right environment you know when's the last time a City player Calvin Phillips is maybe the only example that's came into the team and not improved 
And even Pep's like, he doesn't know how he hasn't improved because he's tried his best. Under Pep Guardiola, under the system, you know, the environment, players just thrive. And it's really exciting to go and play for Man City. And you can just see he, he is full of confidence. You know, he's not afraid uh, to take a shot. His goal was a great goal. And he was unlucky with another one. I know he got an assist for it, but I had a Kanji. Um, just a top, top player. And poor old Max Ahrens for Bournemouth. He got the roasting of a lifetime. Minute silence for Max Ahrens because that was embarrassing from him. He got toasted. Uh, <laughs> you know, Bournemouth, they are brutal. But he is, a, he is a really, really good player. And it's not just in this game. You know, he's played other games where he's been really, really good. But Bournemouth, they are... <laughs> just a second on Bournemouth, they are shocking. And I think they could get relegated. They've uh, won one game all year. And they're just brutal. But another great signing for City. Um, I don't like to go back to United, but when you look at players like Anthony, it makes you, it makes you physically sick looking at, looking at a player like that. But... You know, what else can you say about him? Young, exciting, and scores goals, assists, everything. Yeah, no, it does. Has, has just seemed to come to Man City, and it looked like you've already highlighted there's not many players that I can think of that Pep hasn't improved. And really, there's one that, you know, wasn't an immediate starter in the previous league he played at, and now he's come in. And, you know, what you would say is he's probably Man City, he's probably Man City's best option out in the left wing at the minute. Like, you know, and like, I think people forget, you know, Jack Grealish cost that club £100 million and, you know, now you've got Doku in and I, I think Doku's maybe a, maybe a better player than Jack Grealish, to be completely honest. Like, and um, he, he is just so exciting and it, it's like you said, like, you know, you watch Anthony at United and it does make you sick, to be honest, because you think like... We've seen, him, on the, the, we've seen yeah. him in the flesh, lad. Even oh, better in the flesh. Last week, I mean, I've seen him twice, and I have seen him twice in the flesh. And fair enough, against Charlton, he absolutely whipped one top bins. But like we were there last Wednesday for the Newcastle game, and it was fucking horrible. Like absolutely horrible. One of the worst performances. He put his hand up every time for a crossfield pass. He crossfield passes at them. He just goes backwards, or he gives it away. He yeah. is just. He's no confidence and just not a, just not a good player. <laughs> just. No. Oh, it makes me feel sick. Yeah. No, Jack Grealish would definitely, like, if you think about Jack Grealish, 100 million, any other club, people would be like, oh, they spent 100 million on him and he can't get on. But at Man City, there's no question because uh, they just have so many good players and they're missing De Bruyne as well. And it's like nothing. Like, people were like, oh, Eddie B could be a big miss. Just no miss at all. Just, they just have so many players. Yeah. But, and, and I mean, the ones that they brought in in the summer have settled so quickly that. You, you do just you do have to sit back and look at it and go, Jesus! Like the the squad depth of that club is absolutely ridiculous. Like they could they could field their second team for the rest of the season and still comfortably win the league. Like it's just it's piss easy for them to be honest. Even like um, Bernardo Silva as well. Just quick point: he was like against United, he was unbelievable. And even without De Bruyne, like he's just stepped up. That's how good he's. Quite, I think he's underappreciated because he is a top player. I think at any other club, you get more talk about him, but. He's filled that uh, role. De Bruyne has been playing unbelievably. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Like I, I agree with you. Bernardo Silva is completely underrated, and he's easy. He, he's easily one of the best midfielders in world football. Like, and the job that he does, I think he's even improved defensively as well. Like, Papa's actually sort of molded him into like a box to box eight, which is not the position I ever seen Bernardo Silva occupying ever. But 
for some reason, Pep can just take players and he just sees a wee something in them and he goes, yeah, I think you're able to make that switch. Like it's, it is crazy, crazy. But listen, folks, that is going to do it for this episode of This Week in Football. Listen, apologies for um, not having any episodes out sort of over the last two or three weeks. We are just, honestly, folks, like we're finding it really, really tough to just find time to get these done. We're, we all have very, very busy schedules and trying to sit down. And I know this episode itself is only like 35, 36 minutes, but even trying to find 35 to 36 minutes to sit down and record is just really, really difficult at the minute, um, to be completely honest with you. But um, we are going to try um, and there will be this episode out this week um and we're also um i think this will probably be the last episode to go out this week so if you haven't um already please go back and check our previous two episodes where myself and connor did a quick breakdown on the spurs and chelsea game from monday night and we also did a quick breakdown of manchester united against fulham that was at the weekend just because we haven't got to talk about Man United um, in great length for a while. So please go and check them out. As always, at Bottom Men's Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, yes. And but the Bottom Bins Podcast on Facebook as well, if you want to head over there and give us a like too. And as always, thank you for listening and keep it bottom bins. Keep it bottom bins.